Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be working to finish off 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, starting off about verse number 19, and working our way through to the end. So stick with me while we enjoy this conversation that we've been having over the last week as concerning the position of tongues, what they are, which I hope we've already defined, and uh, what their purpose was for, which I hope we've already defined, and then we'll look at what what their usage should be, which I hope we've in part defined, and hopefully we'll be able to cover the rest of this time in definition. So uh, with that, let us turn to the Lord, asking His blessing in prayer, and then we'll dive right in. Father, we are grateful for everything that you have done. We pray that you will be with us, Lord, that we may be able as a people in Christ to rejoice in the blessing of our salvation, in the blessing of our increase of knowledge concerning thy word, that we may not sin against you, that we may live lives that would exhibit the gospel so that others may be able to see our lives and come to know Jesus as we share with them the reasons why we are the way we are. God bless it. We'll thank you for it, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, reading down, guys, we're going to be on verse number 19. Of course, we we had finished off with that on Tuesday as, as referring to the manner of which we are to speak within the congregation of the church. Of course, up to this point, you understand that the Apostle Paul has already talked about the, the nature of tongues as being that which is a personal a conversation that would happen in spirit with the Lord. And so that, that the usage of the concept of tongues, especially the way that some faith circles would speak concerning the tongues of angels and and a lot of these uh, things that you'll find happening within certain of the Pentecostal groups would, would be a situation of privacy, a situation that would be done uh, w- within the confines of their private time of worship with God in, in the connection. But the reality of the congregation setting and the reality of coming together in the assembly of the church as a whole is meant for the purpose of edification. It's meant for the purpose of, of growing in our understanding of the gospel, of the things that are written in the in the scripture, of the law concerning Torah. These are these are the things that are necessary for the greater body as they gather together to be able to understand so that they may better know how to uh, pray to the Lord, how to serve the Lord, how to function as a part of the body and in, 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 in its health. And in that, during the private times of praise and, and the private times of, of prayer and, and personal intimacy and worship with God, certainly those, those things of the nature of tongues would, would be uh, beautiful and a blessing between you and the Lord. But again, as it comes to gathering together as a church body, that, that these things are, are not done, that these things are set aside for the purpose of teaching, and that's what Paul would say, yet in the church. The point being is, as we gather together as a greater body in Christ, it's of the utmost of importance, and I believe that the Holy Spirit understands this, which is why he led the Apostle Paul to write this as a censure, which the letter of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are, are letters of censure to the church of Corinth, as concerning the practices that were happening within the, the congregation that were not meant for the congregation, weren't meant for the purpose of the congregation, that ended up becoming more of a glorification of certain people or a lifting up of man than it was a lifting up of God. 
And so it's important for us to understand that within the confines of our church assemblies and our gatherings, that is more important that we grow in understanding and dissemination of the Word of God than that we put on these shows that often are taking place around our nation. And thus Paul would say in verse 19, Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. It's very important, but now we catch up at verse number 20 and we go forward. He says, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be like babies, but in understanding, be mature. In other words, as concerning being hateful, be like babies, which really don't understand hatefulness anyways, and so don't have any hatefulness in you, that malice, that that anger, that hatred towards other people. But when it comes to understanding the things of God and understanding the work of God and understanding the personhood of God, be mature. So we're not supposed to be carrying malice against one another or hatred against a certain people group or or any of these things. But we are supposed to be very intelligent to the scriptures, very understanding of the teachings of of the Word of God. And unfortunately, we we haven't achieved either of those, I think, in most churches today. We, We do carry a great deal of malice, and we're quite immature when it comes to our faith. And it comes down to verse 21. He says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all that, They will not hear me, says the Lord. Now, I hate to say it, but it's interesting how much of the Torah actually exists in in our New Testament. And I don't hate to say that, actually. It's It's a euphemism. It's a figure of speech to be able to say that most Christian churches today are so scared of the Old Testament simply because they don't understand the customs and culture and language of a people. They're so scared of the Old Testament that they try to do away with the Old Testament. Many Christian churches would believe that that in, in the New Covenant it is doing away with the Old Covenant and so that we don't have to answer to the Old Covenant anymore. We're no longer under the, the precepts of the Old Covenant because of the New Covenant. But nothing is further from the truth. Understanding that, that the Torah is given by God and it is eternal. As Jesus would say in Matthew 25, not one jot or one tittle of that law that Jesus freely taught about so that his disciples, which, by the way, if we claim to be the disciples of Jesus, we would follow too, that his disciples were, were encouraged and led by himself to be obedient to these things. And so that you understand that, that without the Torah, without the law of God, you don't have anything in the New Testament. You don't even have a New Testament. It was necessary that the law be fulfilled in in every point and complied with through Christ in order for you to have this this connection through Christ unto God. For it was written in Deuteronomy that that the cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. And it was necessary for Jesus to take that curse upon himself as being perfect according to the law so that he could cover us from the penalty of that law by his gift and through his grace. And so it was necessary for us to study that law to be able to understand why we need Jesus. 
as revealed in Galatians chapter number 3 under the Apostle Paul, that the law was to be a schoolmaster that would bring us to the knowledge that we need Jesus. And so if we try to teach the precepts of Christianity apart from the Old Testament and the law thereof, we're a clanging symbol, as was revealed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're a sounding gong and a clanging symbol. Because those things that were written in the Torah were meant for the purpose of solidifying the point of necessity for the Messiah, for Jesus, for our salvation. So we must understand that every time we come across in 1 Corinthians or Galatians or Colossians or Thessalonica or Thessalonians or, or the teachings of Timothy, which he, uh, by the way, completely tells Timothy to teach the law in every point, that it would be important for us as pastors and us as Christian churches to understand greatly the covenant that was made by God in the beginning with Adam, to understand the gift of the Messiah in chapter 3 of Genesis, to realize the covenant that he made with Israel, and to understand how we as a new covenant people are grafted in to the, the overall promise of God with Israel, and so that so that in Christ we're, we're no longer uh, Jew nor Gentile, but that we are a one complete body in in Christ. And so it's very important to realize that God has never done away with the old covenant. He didn't he didn't abolish the old covenant. He didn't he didn't put a blanket over it and hide it. And he didn't do away with the Jewish nation or the Jewish people. Praise God, they're still just as much as people as they've ever been. The problem is, is that they have not recognized the Messiah that God has provided for them. And so it is given unto the people who have accepted the new covenant, rather Jew or Gentile, to, to be able to provoke them to jealousy, to be able to communicate with them the reality of the Messiah that God has already sent, instead of them continually looking for a Messiah that is to come so that they may be able to come into the covenant of Messiah and thus be saved exactly the same way that we are saved as Gentiles. Same salvation, same Lord, same God. That's Ephesians 4. So the Christian church really needs to change the way that it thinks about evangelism, that it thinks about itself. For it is not unique unto itself, but is a, is a part of a continuation of a promise that God has made from the beginning. Very important for us to grasp that. Comes down, and, and we're going to look at this place in the law. He says, in the law it is written with men of other tongues, which by the way, that would be us. Men of other tongues and other lips will I speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, which is a sad commentary in itself. And so we come to this place that he's referring to, and uh, and is pretty exciting as concerning where we're at. He says, uh, this passage quoted is taken from the prophet Isaiah, but the term Torah, law, was used by the Jews to express the whole scripture. And, and that's a, a fact. Uh, the law, the prophets, and the hagiographia, and, and they used it to distinguish these sacred writings from the words of the scribes. In other words, from things like the Talmud. So when you see this says with the law, it's separating that from, from the teachings of the rabbis, which would be the originally the oral instruction, which had become written in, in the era of Babylonian captivity known as the Talmud. He said it is not taken from the Septuagint, which is the Greek text 
from which it varies as much as any word can differ from others in the general meaning is where the general meaning is similar. It says it accords much more with the Hebrew, uh, by the way, because it's coming from the Apostle Paul, of course, and may be considered as a translation from the Hebrew. Only what is said of God in the third person in the Hebrew is here expressed in the first person with this beautiful word. Then it comes down, and, and the recognition of this is uh, twofold. At first, from the law perspective in Torah, it's Deuteronomy chapter number 28. In verse number 49, the scripture says, The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar and from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand. And thus, uh, at, by the way, referring to Babylon, which is interesting because Babylon, even though it is a sister language concerning Aramaic, yet it was required that all of the youth of, of the Jews would, would be taught in the schools in Babylonian captivity so that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian peoples were trying to eradicate the very culture, the very language, and the very writing system of the Jews entirely to remove the Jews and, and Israel completely from the earth. But of course, we know that that didn't happen, that it could not happen because it was God had made a promise as a covenant to his people. God will keep his promise no matter what the people go through. Very important for us to understand that as well. In Isaiah chapter number 28, verses 11 and 12, the scripture says, For with stammering lips and another tongue he will speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. And thus in Jeremiah chapter number 5, in verse number 15, the prophecy says, Behold, I will bring a nation against you from afar, O house of Israel, says the Lord. It is a mighty nation, it is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. And so when you see from Deuteronomy to Isaiah to Jeremiah, this is all the knowledge of the Apostle Paul that's coming out and being connected together as he's quoting uh, or connecting quotations of Scripture together to be able to speak to the Corinthian church. He says, in the law is written with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all of that, they will not hear me. You now have an understanding of what scriptures the Apostle Paul was tying together to speak in reference to the law, as in the law and the prophets of the Old Covenant. And it's very important because the Apostle Paul often will be seen drawing history to his, his point so that a people cannot say they did not know or cannot say that they had not heard because it is taught in, in the synagogue schools all of the things that the Apostle Paul was teaching were things that were readily understood by the Jewish nation during that period of time and are taught to the Gentiles who are coming into the church. And so, uh, again, I say that for the first 300 years of the existence of the church, much of the, the events and the way of teaching and the festivals and the, the, the operation of the congregations would be very much uh, led and run in a synagogue-type 
fashion. It would not be uh, the way that our services would be done today because what we do today, even if in a Baptist church or a Presbyterian church or a Methodist church or Lutheran or any other of what is under the banner of what would be considered Protestant denominations, we all still operate in very similar manner to the, uh, Roman Catholicism or, or a Catholic church because this is the establishment of a pattern that has existed since 330 AD as concerning uh, the way of worship in the Roman manner. So none of us, none of our denominations could say that we were unique unto ourselves, but that we do not have excerpts from that which was done by Rome for centuries, if not millennia, before, before our modern times. But the church in its existence from the times of the apostles, the very first apostles, clear out till the times of Polycarp and Eusebius and Papias and, and all the way through uh, to the, the gathering together of, of the Nicene Council during the times of Constantine pulling the bishops together to create the Catholic Church. Uh, had worshipped in in a, a Jewish manner. And in fact, I've just discovered, and I've got a copy coming to the house pretty soon, and I look forward to it because I, I want to share it with everyone that I can here on the podcast and broadcast as well as, as at Martin Church. But I, I have a copy of the original Gospel of Matthew that was actually written in Hebrew before it was written in Greek so that we find that a lot of the manuscripts that we would have from our, our what we believe to be the Greek translation actually existed by those apostles as being written originally in their in their familiar tongue which would be Hebrew before being translated into Greek so that we would think that we all of our new testament came from from the Greek language that would be an error as it would as it is revealed by the teachings of the Apostle Paul, we constantly going back to the Hebrew, then then it's possible that we don't even understand a great deal of our New Testament because we approach the New Testament from a Greek way of thinking instead of approaching our New Testament from a Hebrew mindset, from a Hebrew way of thinking. But all of the authors of our New Testament all of the authors, except for the possibility of Luke, all of these authors are Hebrew. And so they're writing that Hebrew perspective and drawing from that, that uh, original covenant mindset. So it's very important that, that we might want to learn a little something about that and discover that we might not understand anything that we think we understand, except but for the grace of God that has led us to Jesus unto salvation. That part we readily get, but the rest we may miss. And by the way, a question that was proposed as I as I continue with verse number 22, I've chased that rabbit long enough, but I want to leave this question in your heart so that you have to think about it. And I'd love to hear some thoughts behind this in the comment section below. But think about this. You say that you believe in the Lord Jesus, and you believe in the Lord Jesus. But the question, do you have faith in the Lord Jesus? You believe in salvation, but do you have faith in your salvation? 
And, and this is important because the scripture reveals to us in James chapter number four that, that you say that you believe in one God, you do well, but the devils believe also and they tremble. But in James chapter 4, we're also dealing with a chapter that, that reveals to us that faith is something more than just believing. Faith comes from a position of knowing, a knowledge. It's deeper than believing. And faith comes by hearing, as taught by the Apostle Paul, and hearing by the grace of God. And so that we understand that a person can't even have faith without the grace of God, increasing that person's understanding of who God is, what God does, and, and, and everything about God. And the position of Jesus, who Jesus is as his person of Yeshua, uh, by the way, because Jesus is in his name. His name, and rightly given to him, his birth name is Yeshua. And understanding who he is as the Messiah before we can truly understand what has happened to us and, and the gift that has been given to us. And so we believe a lot of things. But the activity of our lives that demonstrate the fear that we regularly exhibit because of the things that are happening in the world shows that our faith is lacking in a great many ways. And our Christianity as it is has suffered a great deal because it has not been a Christianity of faith it's only been a Christianity of things that we propose to believe in, but that we don't necessarily follow because of the contradiction of our own heart. Something to think about. And that's the same thing as what's going on here as concerning the way in which we are to conduct ourselves inside the house of God together as a body in Christ, as communication is the most important piece of, of any service, that we are to communicate the love of God through the gospel to each other. And thus he says in verse 22, Therefore, tongues are for a sign. Tongues are for a sign. Now, indeed, if I was communicating to a group of Hispanic people in Spanish that their eyes would be open to the fact that this American is communicating the gospel to them in their own language, that it would be a sign to them that, that God indeed is is true, that is existent, that they would be readily understanding of the things that I would be communicating concerning the gospel, that they would be readily able to receive those things which I would be saying. It would be a miracle to them that this American would understand how to communicate that in their language. Likewise, if you were in a foreign country and it took you some time to learn that country's language, but in your desire to learn that language, that it would show a people that you were true and honest to your position of wanting to be able to reach them, that they would be more apt to, to hear the words of Jesus from you. That is a sign. He says, and tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to the unbelievers. But prophesying, teaching the gospel, explaining the truths of God's word, revealing those truths found in the future as concerning what's going to happen in Revelation by the connection of the prophecies that have been spoken of it through Daniel and through multitudes of the prophets that were considered minor prophets of old. Being able to bring those things out as concerning the prophecy, he says that, that prophesying is not for the unbelievers but for those who believe. We're supposed to be educating each other in the house of God as being believers in Christ so that we can go out into the world and share our knowledge of the gospel with those who are unbelievers so that they may be able to hear the message of salvation and come to salvation through that. 
This is what the purpose of the church is for. It isn't to come together to have a party. It isn't to come together to have entertainment. It isn't to come together just to sing, 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 and have a rock and roll band and all that other stuff. We are for the purpose to come together to grow in our maturity of the Word of God so that we may be, though children, as concerning a hateful attitude and the malice that could be in our hearts, yet fully mature in our faith, understanding the work and purpose and person of God. He says in verse 23, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or are unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? <laughs> Amen. I'll tell you right now, I will, <laughs> because I understand the, the purpose behind those things, and I would think that you were a nut for doing this, and rightly so. For in the house of God, a person comes, rather they're uninformed, they're not certain of what they believe yet, or rather they're completely an unbeliever, the reason why they're showing up to the house of God is to be able to hear a message about God, to be able to decide in their soul if this is something that they would, that they, they want to know more about, or this is going to be a deciding factor of saying, no, I'm not coming back again. And so that if you go off into a tyrant of, of different people babbling off in unknown languages or, or, or just simple gibberish and babbling, period, because that's what you've been taught as a part of your denominational understanding and teaching instead of biblical truth, that, that these people that come that are uninformed and or that are, are unsaved entirely, that are not believers, are going to see these things, hear these things, and, and you're going to say that they're making up excuses by not wanting to come back. But the reality is, is that, that you have not demonstrated the obedience that you are to have to God's word and doing the things that you wanted to do that made you feel good or that, that your denomination has lifted up above what God's word has to say and doing all of this stuff and thinking that you're connected to the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit wouldn't go against God's word. The Holy Spirit didn't use the Apostle Paul to speak these things into existence of 1 Corinthians and then turn around and violate the things that he had given to Paul to speak, he would contradict himself. And this is not God. So those activities that would be happening within the body of Christ would not be of God either, but of man's desire. And so we see that verse 23 would tell us the whole church comes together in one place and speaks with tongues, and there come those who are uninformed or unbelievers. Will they not say that they're out of their mind? But, verse 24, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. Now, but if all prophesy. So, here's the point behind this. If all. Now, in a congregation during this period of time, whether it be the church of Corinth, or the church at Thessalonica, or the church at Sardis, or any of the other churches, Ephesus, Colossae, you name it, the, the, the different letters that have been written throughout the New Testament, those churches, the way that that church operated was exactly the same way as it was in the synagogue. You didn't have one guy standing up behind a pulpit with everybody else sitting in benches and, and, and listening. What you had was everybody gathered together. Now, the teachers that would, were either going to read 
portion of scripture, which would be portion of prophecies as, as concerning the, the prophetic books of, of the Old Testament, because they didn't have a New Testament during the time of Paul's writing. They were actually engaged in the teaching of what would become the New Testament. So the church for its, its beginning existence for over a hundred years was operating off of the teachings of what was coming out of Torah anyway. So why are we, as a New Testament church, abandoning two-thirds of the Bible that was the only thing being taught in its in its day of the New Testament that we're gleaning from? I don't know. But that's the way that the modern church has decided it was going to go, and it was a bad decision, and I ain't following it. But that's beside the point. He says, if all. So within this gathering of believers that would rather be in a home or it would be in a, in a building, it would be in the temple, it would be gathered even together in a synagogue even, as, as many, many a church would meet together in the synagogue building and, and the services would be uh, similar in operation to a synagogue service. So everybody would be gathered together and the scripture would be read by multitudes of different people one principal teacher would, would provide the instruction as concerning the Word of God, like the Apostle Paul would be speaking here, but they would have multitudes of different people reading from portions of Scripture as, as they would have uh, readings from the prophets and readings from the law and readings that would be extant. If someone had finished a, a gospel letter, like the, the letter of Mark, the gospel of Mark would have been penned and, and, and able to be read by the churches about this period of time at first. Corinthians 14, uh, th then they would have portions of that letter to be shared with the churches. As, as these letters would be written, they would be shared among the churches. And so it's very important to understand that, that if all prophesies, referring to new people coming in and seeing the operation of all of these different people reading from portions of Scripture and sharing their thoughts, much like the way that we would do a Sunday school is the way that their main service would operate. And it would be neat if we actually went back. I'm one of those guys that believes that the church doesn't need to move forward into stranger times. It needs to revert back to its its better times, its more, more perfect times of celebrating God. And he says, if all prophesy and an unbeliever uninformed, in other words, not, not the, the entertainment, not the, the extra biblical things like speaking in tongues, but everybody is sharing from the scripture and everybody is communicating the scripture and, and speaking what they have received from the scripture. If everybody is prophesying and an unbeliever and uninformed person comes in, they will hear the Word of God. They will hear the explanation of the Word of God. They will hear the community's thoughts about the Word of God, and they will be convicted by the Word of God and convinced of the Word of God. And this is how we lead people to Christ, not through all of the other junk. And verse 25 says, Thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so, falling down on his face, he will worship God, and report that God is truly among you. And that would be priceless without question. And so we look to the purpose of orderly worship at this point. Uh, verse number 26, as we move forward, and we will read from verse number 26 down to verse number 40. Just we'll read through it and, and try to finish this today so that tomorrow we can start up in 1 Corinthians 15. And he says, how is it then, brethren, 
whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Well, right here, you understand that, that the Apostle Paul is not necessarily saying that this is something bad. He's not necessarily saying that this is something wrong to do. Indeed, we just finished over in 1 Corinthians 12 talking about the gifts of the Spirit without question. But the Spirit testifies to Jesus, the, the whole purpose behind the gifts of the Spirit, or for the testimony of Jesus. And so these aren't things, the Holy Spirit isn't going to contradict the, the purpose of His ministry, which is the revelation of salvation through Jesus Christ, and the revelation of Messiah, the revelation of God's Word. So the Holy Spirit's going to draw you to God's Word. It's not going to do things apart from God's Word. The Holy Spirit is meant for the purpose purpose of glorifying God and revealing Messiah. And so anything that we do that would not be glorifying God or not revealing Jesus, our Messiah, is, is not of the Holy Spirit. Plain and simple. So these these word of prophecy movements and these word of faith movements and these the, the, in many ways, a lot of these uh, prominent charismatic movements where they're all giving out these words of prophecies about blessings and all giving out these words of prophecies about wealth and prosperity and all of these different things that are happening is none of it is of God, for it is not glorifying God, nor is it pointing out the person and the ministry of Jesus, the Messiah. And so these things are not of God, but we are so captivated by them. We are so taken by them because they speak to our desire of the flesh. They speak to our passions and our wants and our and our flesh. And so we're driven by these things and we want them to be of God and we make them out to be of God. But they have no foundation. They have no basis of being God. So it isn't that the Apostle Paul is saying that this is something that is bad or should not be done. But he is saying that there is a necessity of edification. Everything is to be done for the purpose of glorifying God and, and exposing Jesus to the unbeliever, exposing Jesus to the uninformed, exposing Jesus to the believers who are immature of the faith. And so it is necessary that the Holy Spirit is not going to do something outside of the work that has been given to him. And if anyone speaks in a tongue, there has to be. He said, let there be two or at the most three. And, and of course, you see, let there be, and the word each within the, this particular verse are, are uh, additions to make the concept in English make sense. And if you, if you take those things out, which they would not be in, in the original position in Greek, it would say, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three in turn, and let one interpret. So they added, let there be, as a purpose to be able to give you context as concerning the English language, and each in turn, each, in order to be able to broaden the understanding in, in the English language. But originally, those words wouldn't have been uh, written in, in the Greek translation that this is taken from. But nevertheless, we move forward, and he says, But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent. 
because this isn't a place for that to take place. This isn't a time. Remember at the very beginning teachings that, 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 that he'd rather speak five words in a known language for the purpose of teaching than 10,000 words in, in a tongue. It isn't the time. This isn't the place. He says, keep silent. And this is something that's between you and God and praise God for it. But it isn't for the, the company of the church. And he said, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. You, you speak the word of God and let the others consider the word of God and then make the questions about the word of God that the, the edification, the instruction, the understanding can come to the body of Christ. He said, but if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. One is speaking, and then God has given an understanding to another person as that person rises to speak, that the one who is speaking go silent for, the, for God to be able to speak something else to the people. Often you'll find that the Holy Spirit gives understanding to a person in a different context of the same point so that that different context can come out. It's like our Sunday school, when a Sunday school leader is asking a question about a particular point of Scripture, and then a person speaks up and starts sharing their understanding that that teacher remains silent because God is then using this person to be able to speak. And, and if that, that speech is, is not correct according to the Scripture, then it would be of necessity that it be taught in a greater perspective so that it, the understanding could come to the person that, that didn't, ha didn't quite have it correct and that everybody be edified by that. But if the person's speech would be correct, that there would be an additional blessing to the overall body from the mouth of two witnesses talking about this Scripture at this point. So it's a very important thing to understand that much of our Sunday school is exactly the way that the main church service would be during the times of, of the writing of this letter at the Church of Corinth instead of the way that we operate uh, in our main services today, which would be wholly foreign to, to the Apostle Paul. If he was to come back and, and attend any church service in the United States, he would be baffled by the way that that it is being conducted because it would be it would he would be in the Sunday school thinking well okay this is church and then when the main service happened he'd be like what is this what what is happening here uh, this is not the way that that we established the meetings of the church it would throw him off and it comes down uh, and he says, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent. He said, let two or three prophets speak and the others judge. It's just the questions that would be asked concerning the teachings that would happen so that the body could be edified and understand better the word of God. He says, but if anything is revealed by another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and that all may be encouraged. In other words, we are to do this thing in decent order. It's one by one. It's not to be like 15 mouths just running off about the things that we think we know is because then nobody is edified because everybody's talking about their own thoughts. And he says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion. God is the author of peace. And in all the churches, as in all the churches of the saints. It's not the author of confusion. Uh, where women get upset with the Apostle Paul, here let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. 
Um, this could get contentious in its point. But I figured it would be well for us as he had made mention that the law uh, is involved. So we go to the Torah in Numbers, uh, book of Numbers, in chapter number 30 in verses 3 through 13. So if I have any Messianic believers that are listening to this, of course, in, in the translation you would use, that uh, this would be Bamidbar, which would be the, the book of Numbers in English, is Bamidbar in, in Hebrew in chapter 30. It says, Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. If indeed she, may, she takes a husband while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she has bound herself and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears, then her vows shall stand and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, he shall make void her vow which she took and what she uttered with her lips by which she bound herself and the Lord will release her. Also, any vow of a widow or a divorced woman by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. If she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath, and her husband heard it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vow shall stand, and every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them void on the day that he heard them, then whatever proceeded from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her, it shall not stand. Her husband has made them void, and the Lord will release her. Every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it, or her husband may make it void. Thus concerning the law, concerning this particular point, that the Apostle Paul is making is is in consideration of the the woman keeping silent in the churches is understanding that those things which which she may speak and during the time the Apostle Paul is dealing with this there was a great controversy of like what is happening in our modern day where where the roles of husband and wife or the roles of men and women had completely reversed and flipped upside down and that there was no respect for the teachings of God and no respect for God's word among men or women and so that this was was completely uh, not being the scriptures not even being considered but as understanding from the law's perspective that that whatever would be spoken by the woman in the church of course if if those things which she would speak would be those things which would be true that there would be no issue but if there would be error in the church that that, that it would be of necessity for uh, the pastor or for the husband or for the teacher to be able to call those things out and 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 what was said would be disannulled, would be would be done away with, because it is not the, the point for as concerning the law for her to be able to have that position of authority, which is where you have that that challenge of 
not usurping authority over a man as concerning the, the positional roles of men and women as established by God all the way back in Genesis chapter number 3 and then carried through by the perspective of the law so that everybody operates where they're supposed to operate to give glory to God. And what is the main purpose but to give glory to God? That is the whole point. And so that we understand that uh, he says if they want to learn something, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to to teach or to preach or, or these things as concerning the, the concept of speak in church. And, and we completely have uh, changed that, altered it in the modern day, of course, because of a lot of the movements that, that have gone through the world as concerning feminism and the feminist movement. But, of course, that is... Uh, unfortunately in direct rebellion against the authority of God. So we have to decide if we want uh, power to be of man or we want to be all men and women submissive to the authority of God. And women will just have to make that decision as well as men. And it comes down, it says, or did the word of God originally uh, come originally from you? Was the word of God spoken from you? Did it, did it actually originate from you? Uh, the answer very easily to that question is no. I'm pretty sure that was rhetorical. He said, or was it you only that it reached? In other words, you're the only person who could possibly understand it. And of course, there and again, the answer is no. And it comes down to verse 37. He says, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. And, but if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Uh, there's not much you can do to a people that aren't going to listen. Plain and simple. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid, uh, don't forbid to speak with tongues, understanding that this is something that the Holy Spirit does, but keeping in mind that it is for the purpose of, of, of edifying and glorifying God and instruction and, and understanding to the church. So prophecy is the more important aspect within the greater body of Christ instead of the personal devotion and worship to God, which would be great. And he says in verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. Father, we thank you and ask that blessing upon us as we have given consideration in this truth for the last several days, Lord, that it would be something that would work in our hearts and lives. That we may be able to grow thereby. Thank you, Lord, for, for teaching us and that the Holy Spirit would make known unto us the truth of what is spoken, that we may be able to find ourselves before you acceptable, and it will be well with our soul in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys, keep you guys, and cause His face to shine upon you. And we did go a little bit longer today, but it's worth it for the instruction that is given here. Didn't want to carry it one more day. We're moving to 1 Corinthians 15 tomorrow. So be ready for that, and it'll be well. Talk to you guys later. God bless.